Brad and Glenda Pius. Thank you so much for sewing into Morning Drive Bible. Without your commitment and support, this initiative couldn't come to fruition. Greetings from Jerusalem. My name is David Nekrutman. And I'm Scott Kahn. And welcome to Morning Drive Bible. We've been having an interesting discussion over the past three podcasts about abortion. This was spurred by David's recent trip to New York, where he saw the Empire State Building lit up in colors in honor of a decision in New York to allow abortions up to the very last moment before the baby is born. David was, I think, understandably very bothered by this. And now we're going to look at what the Bible and Jewish law in general says about abortion. And it was also inspired by Ben Shapiro, right after that happened, being very public about his opinion and saying very bluntly, Judaism is against abortion, which caused an uproar within our own communities that not everyone is on board with what Ben Shapiro is saying. And I'm among those people. I think that Ben Shapiro being pro-life is articulating an important position within Judaism, though not the universal position. I'm saying I love Ben Shapiro for doing what he's doing because I'm on the uh, side of a pro-life person. In the previous podcast, we talked about Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, which, at least according to one of two ways of reading that verse, implies that abortion is perhaps even a capital crime. David and I argued about what the actual way one should read that verse is. Today, we're going to look at a different verse altogether from Exodus chapter 21, verses 22 and 23. Prior to that, we mentioned towards the end of the previous podcast on how to actually look at Jewish law, that you can't just take one particular verse. You have to look at the whole gamut of the Bible, along with the development of Judaism's engagement with it, which has different sources. Most publicly known is the Talmud, but there are other sources besides the Talmud, the Babylonian Talmud, to take in consideration in the development of how we look at this issue. But I think what's important is, is we have been dealing with this issue since it's been on the books. That's right. This is not a new issue. This is now. not it, a new issue. This did not start in 1973. That's the important thing, and that this issue has always been debated, and there's a pendulum throughout Jewish history on how we look at specific cases that deal with the risk of the mother's life, and later on, what about the life of the child? You know, let me just add one point to what we said last time. We talked about the idea of the rodef, the pursuer, where in our last podcast we explained that if somebody is trying to kill somebody else, perhaps even unintentionally, then one is allowed or even required to kill the one who's about to kill someone else, assuming that's the only way to stop him or her. And one interesting case that once happened, there's an autobiography of C. Everett Koop. You remember C. Everett Koop? Yeah. C. Everett Koop was a surgeon general. I actually read his autobiography, and he talks about a case where he had Siamese twins. Not that he had. He was the doctor. He was a doctor delivering. He was, he was a pediatrician. He had a case where there were Siamese twins, and they only had one set of internal organs, and only one could survive, but they had two heads. The question is, is he allowed to divide them into two and so doing, kill one of the two children? But that's the only way they could both live. Only one could live, and if they stayed together, they would not live. The family was a religious Jewish family, and they actually went to Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, who lived in the Lower East Side, who died in 1986, one of the great halachic Jewish law decisors of the past centuries, and asked him the question, and he said the same rule. The law of Rodev, the one who was, I think, the weaker one, I think, was allowed to be essentially killed by dividing the babies into two because it was called a pursuer. It was killing the stronger one. But that was the case after they were born. This is not a case of abortion. It's It's an interesting example of how that law of Rodev, a pursuer, applies even to someone killing unintentionally. Okay. 
It's right. not a moral thing that we're allowed to kill someone who's trying to kill. It's a matter of we're allowed to save the person who's being pursued, even if the one pursuing isn't trying to do it. So in the case of abortion, where the child is not intentionally trying to kill the mother... The same law could apply. The same law can apply. And therefore, from a Jewish point of view, we would save the mother's life before saving the child. That's not always necessarily the case within other faith communities. We know for a long, long time that within the Catholic faith... The position is that the baby's life would come before the mother's life. But it doesn't mean that every single Christian subscribes to that. But definitely within the Catholic Church, there is this belief that the child's life comes before the mother's life. So David, now that we're moving on to the further verse we're going to talk about, the one that seems to imply that babies in the womb have a lesser status than the mother, forgetting the Rodaif issue, simply by virtue of the fact that it's not a full person, that's implied in the verse in Exodus chapter 21, verse 22 and 23. So let's put this in context. We're moving from the book of Genesis, where I had one interpretation of uh, saying that not only it's a person, but abortion would be forbidden. Now we're moving into the book of Exodus. This is immediately after the Sinaitic Covenant, and we have here the law is given almost civil law, tort it's, law. It's all tort law. And the verse reads, And if men strive together, two people are fighting, and hurt a woman with child, meaning a pregnant woman, so that her fruit depart, I love these these modern translations, right? So that her fruit depart, and yet no harm follow, he shall be surely fined according as the woman's husband shall lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. In other words, if the woman ends up miscarrying, there's a fine. The next verse says, but if any harm follow, meaning if the woman is killed, then thou shalt give life for life. Meaning if the woman is killed in the process of these men fighting, there is a different and more strict penalty than if the baby is miscarried, which implies that the baby is not a full human being. Otherwise, if it were, then they would have the exact same law. So this certainly implies that the baby inside the mother's womb is not, quote unquote, a baby, but a fetus. Oh, is it a fetus? Or do you say it's a human being, but... In this particular case, there's no capital punishment when it comes to unintentional murder. There's no murder here, unintentional manslaughter. Yeah, but you can say the same thing about the woman, meaning the woman who's killed also is unintentional, and yet there are different rules for both of them. How Jewish law deals with the case being unintentional and being manslaughter... I think that's what we need to speak about in the next podcast. We're out of time? Oh, man. Okay, okay. I guess we'll talk about it next. We have our marching orders now. That's it. I'm Scott Kahn. And I'm David Necrub. Blessings from Jerusalem. Jerusalem.